Hello, and welcome to the Healthy Habits, Happy Homes podcast hosted by the Guelph Family Health Study. If you're interested in the most recent research and helpful tips for a healthy, balanced living for you and your family, then this podcast is for you. In each episode, we'll bring you topics that are important to your growing family and guests who will share their expertise and experience with you. Our quick tips will help your family build healthy habits for a happy home. And welcome back to the Healthy Habits, Happy Homes podcast. I'm Lisa Tang. And I'm Sabrina Douglas. And this week on the podcast, we're excited to welcome Kim Squires. Kim is the pedagogical leader at the Child Care and Learning Center, or CCLC, and a PhD student at the University of Guelph. And she's here to talk to us today about the importance of children's play and why play is important to children's learning in their early years. Welcome, Kim. Hi, thanks for having me. So to start off, can you tell us a bit about your research interests and your PhD, and what your PhD research is focused on? Sure. So I'm uh, currently a PhD candidate in the Department of Family Relations and Applied Nutrition at the University of Guelph. And um, my research is focused on uh, early learning in particular. That's my main research focus. Uh, so young children and their learning experiences. And specifically, I'm focusing on uh, the impact of children's experiences with more naturalized environments and how that might impact their development and learning. So specifically, we're looking at the uh, differences in children's cognitive and social play behaviors, as well as activity levels and movement patterns on a traditional playground, as opposed to a naturalized playground. Interesting, can you explain what a naturalized playground is? For sure, so the traditional playground that you might see has more kind of slides and monkey bars, and um, they call it kind of a kit fence and carpet playground sometimes. Uh, where you might have kind of the general kit that uh, a kind of jungle gym or a playground is created out of, and then the carpeting of kind of the rubbering surface. And then a naturalized playground, there's no actual definition uh, or, or like, I guess, one definition for a naturalized playground. Uh, but generally, it's a playground that's more focused on natural elements and includes a variety of natural elements within it. So thinking about more connection to gardens and having larger gardens within it, Uh, Rather than kind of a large jungle gym, you might see more uh, fallen tree structures or structures created out of um, kind of various logs. So, for instance, at the naturalized playground uh, at the Child Care and Learning Center, we have a large log jam structure that's on our preschool playground. Much more kind of focus on like larger sandboxes, more grassy open areas and thinking about maybe some water elements to get in that connection to nature as well. Um, So really thinking about how you can have those multiple connections to various natural elements, but there's, there's not really one kind of specific definition, I guess. That's really great and super interesting. I know that there is kind of a playground near us with some naturalized elements in it and my kids just absolutely love it. And I kind of feel like if they, well, they love any playground if I'm being totally honest, but they really like some of those naturalized elements in it. And I, I think that they kind of, makes them feel like they're playing in nature a little bit more, which is kind of fun. So my my question for you, I guess, is really what motivated or inspired you to pursue this area of research? So I guess the start of it was when I was completing my Bachelor of Education, I discovered a passion for helping children um, strengthen their relationship with nature and really began to understand what some of those benefits, bringing children into nature more and really helping uh, them connect even further with nature. And so I knew 
that this was kind of a beginning passion of mine and I carried this into my work um, in the field as an educator and also as a teacher. And then I knew that when I was starting my PhD, I wanted to be researching something that was, I was truly passionate about and something that I really could kind of dig into deeper and something that would really, I felt benefit the world and also my own kind of perspective as an educator. Uh, focusing on nature and natural play uh, seemed to fit that criteria pretty well for me. Research about uh, outdoor play and children's connections with nature has proven that there are definitely health benefits and uh, developmental benefits in a variety of ways. So I wanted to really add to this kind of growing body of research. At the time that I was kind of first initially thinking about this, it was even kind of less common perhaps to have some more of this research occurring. It, in the last few years, it's gotten a little bit more common, but we can see from the research that there's definitely benefits in terms of activity levels and, and increased physical activity for children when they spend more time outdoors, which of course has associated health benefits with it. But then also there's been proven kind of uh, benefits in terms of mood and stress reduction. Uh, social skills have been proven to be or shown to be improved from spending more time outside attention spans, all sorts of kind of developmental benefits have been associated with it. And also thinking specifically about naturalized areas as opposed to wild kind of natural areas. Not every child necessarily has access to a forest in their backyard or a forest close by. So thinking about kind of the benefits, not just of wild natural areas, but also perhaps more kind of uh, maintained or constructed naturalized areas and thinking if those areas still have similar benefits to Kind of create more equitable access to nature for all children. Specifically, the research project that I'm working on is based out of the Child Care and Learning Centre. So because I work there, I was really fortunate to know that this playground construction project was occurring and um, felt like it could be a really interesting research study. And so luckily my advisor agreed with me uh, and we were able to move forward with creating a research um, study based on uh, the transition from the child care and learning centers, uh, more traditional playground to a uh, more naturalized playground. Kim, that's so interesting. And thank you for sharing all of that with us. Um, I want to circle back to about the naturalized playgrounds. I once went, I, I have a question for you, actually. I once went to this conference and they were talking about, a speaker was speaking about the safety differences between a naturalized playground and kind of your traditional playground with the naturalized playgrounds being a little bit uh, safer. Can you speak to that? Yeah, for sure. Definitely. The research seems to suggest that because with a traditional playground, uh, children can get up to perhaps more artificially high heights um, through the use of ladders and stairs and things like that. Um, they are actually potentially at a greater risk or there are potentially more safety concerns because of some of those aspects versus with a naturalized playground or even, for instance, climbing a tree in a forest, you can only get up as high as your body is actually allowing you to get up um, or as, as much as your body is ready to get up into that tree or into that onto that fallen tree or log jam within a naturalized playground. It does seem to suggest that being in those natural spaces, you're really only engaging in a risk level that is that your body is ready for, um, which does seem to suggest that there are less um, safety concerns for sure. Interesting. And you mentioned that your PhD research is focusing on the transition to a naturalized playground at the CCLC. Um, can you explain like the aim of this project and maybe how it's going so far? For sure. So uh, we started this transition probably about three or four years ago 
technically probably before that, just in terms of thoughts and kind of planning out how we were going to do it. But I think we started to see some real traction with it probably about four years ago. The playground that we have at the CCLC, or had at the CCLC, I should say, was an absolutely beautiful space. And it was a really beautiful playground in its time, for sure. We, we're so fortunate to have uh, so many large outdoor spaces for the children to engage in. But because of the age of it, it had definitely seen better times. And we found that with our kind of annual playground inspections, we were getting more and more things coming up that needed to be fixed with the structures. Uh, and that's just a matter of it being, you know, an older playground by that time. A lot has happened in early learning over the last 30 years. And we knew that if we were going to be replacing the playground, we wanted to go with something that would be more fitting with the direction of the field and also with our own pedagogical approach and philosophy at the Child Care and Learning Centre. And so uh, we knew that that meant that we wanted to move to a more naturalized playground versus in, uh, putting in another traditional playground. And so we started kind of the process of that and creating plans. And it was obviously a very large uh, and um, long process uh, as everything kind of is with larger projects like that. But we were really fortunate to be able to work with a wonderful company um, or a design firm as well as a construction firm and they created an absolutely amazing um, outdoor learning environment for our classrooms uh, at the CCLC. And they've created multiple different kind of sections um, where the children can engage in a variety of different experiences. And it's all really focused on connecting children with a variety of aspects of nature. So we have huge gardens that take up a lot of the space and the children are able to engage with. Uh, we have uh, log jams and or log jam on the preschool side and a fallen tree on the toddler side. We have some kind of built-in slides, which I would say are probably one of the few, I guess, more traditional playground elements that you might see, but they're kind of built into a rolling hill. So they don't stand out maybe quite as much and still provide a fantastic experience for the children. Um, we have large kind of grassy areas. Um, we have large sandboxes. We have two kind of water features, as well as kind of some other we increased the amount of trees that we had, even though we were already fortunate to have lots of trees. And that was one of the main things that we said with the project. Um, they basically took it down. Well, they did take it down to the dirt, but we said, you have to protect all of the trees because they were such a huge asset to the site. And so that was kind of a, a larger process that we went through a couple of years ago now. And uh, we've been really enjoying our nationalized playground since then. Unfortunately, we didn't get to enjoy it actually all of last spring or summer uh, due to the pandemic and needing to close down for that. So this is actually the first uh, spring that we're seeing on the playground and it's been so wonderful to be able to see all the gardens coming up and see the children's connections with them and seeing how they're able to kind of take all these different experiences and, and make use of the playground in the ways that they find significant. That sounds wonderful. It sounds like your uh, PhD research is highly relevant to your role at the CCLC and vice versa. And there's many like overlapping components. Can you talk about um, more specifically what your role is as a pedagogical leader at the Child Care Learning Center? Yeah, for sure. So my role is actually um, a partnership between the Department of Family Relations and Applied Nutrition at the University of Guelph and the Child Care and Learning Center. And so half of my role, or for half of my role, I am the instructor for the um, child practicum uh, third year course that we host at the Child Care and Learning Center. So I'm the instructor of that, and I teach it the fall and the winter. 
Uh, and then the other half of my role is leading the pedagogical direction of the CCLC and hoping or, or helping to ensure that we are um, an innovative early learning setting. And so within that, I support the pedagogical approach and kind of furthering that and then also furthering the professional development and learning of all of our educators. Thanks so much, Kim. Now, I'm, I'm, I have another question for you. So sometimes it's hard as a parent. I, I love it when my kids play. I think it's great. I also get a break. But I'm wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about the importance of play specific to children's learning. Yeah, so play is absolutely critical to children's learning. And by definition, play should be something that's freely chosen and self-directed. But children are really, I would say, scientists uh, with the many different theories and curiosities that they have and that they want to test out. And so through play, they're able to kind of test out all of those ideas and wonderings uh, that they have and learn from them and learn kind of how things work and test out different kind of ideas that they have in a situation that's a little bit safer for them to kind of perhaps make mistakes and learn from those mistakes. For example, they can learn all sorts of kind of cognitive uh, skills, but also all sorts of um, social skills through playing with different play partners, uh, really learning how to kind of enter play scenarios, uh, negotiate with play partners, uh, share their ideas, uh, and work together alongside uh, each other within those play interactions. And I would say one thing that's really critical about play, and is perhaps something that's not always able to happen, or maybe uh, prioritized is really giving large chunks of time for children to play so that they can really engage in that play in meaningful ways and and really kind of dig deep into it. As an adult who no longer plays to learn, um, I understand cognitively that play is important for children's learning, but sometimes it can be hard to see how this is happening. So I'm wondering if you can think of examples in your own experience of ways that you've seen children um, learn through play. Yeah, so I... I think that one example that probably most people could relate to is children um, playing with blocks. And they might see that in a classroom, but uh, a lot of children also have blocks at home. And so if I think about a child playing with blocks, I think that there are so many different developmental and learning benefits that can come from that and how we can see children are actually learning while they're engaging with those blocks. So thinking about physical development, and how they might be developing more hand-eye coordination or hand manipulation skills, thinking about kind of social emotional development and how they might be developing more kind of feelings of self-confidence and self-confidence, uh, autonomy, uh, perhaps cooperation if they're working with others, as I mentioned before, and perhaps even respect for others' ideas if they're working alongside others and having to kind of negotiate different ideas within the play experience. Uh, I think in terms of thinking more about kind of curricular subjects, we can think about kind of science and how they might be uh, learning about stability and gravity or, um, you know, weight and balance or even trial and error. Uh, thinking about math and how they might be kind of connecting with some perhaps measurement concepts, uh, probably particularly non-standard measurement concepts, counting, uh, perhaps some symmetry in there or classification and patterning. And then I think finally thinking about perhaps like language development and how they might be exchanging different ideas during play scenarios, questioning each other, uh, naming different concepts or telling kind of different stories about their structures. Blocks are particularly fantastic for that because they can be used in so many different ways and the way that they're used is not necessarily um, 
structured by kind of by the purpose of them. They don't they don't necessarily have a set purpose. Um, so children really have to do kind of a lot more explaining perhaps about what they're building and uh, really kind of use their language skills more than perhaps if they were using kind of more of a closed-ended uh, material. So in early learning, for instance, we try to focus on using many more open-ended materials that don't necessarily have a set purpose um, or um, reason for their use. And one thing I was thinking too about, because we're talking a little bit more about outdoor play and kind of some of the risks associated with that, risky play is another concept in early learning that we talk about a lot and we focus on a lot and something that is perhaps sometimes a little bit more controversial because we don't often think about how we want to encourage children to engage with risk, but um, giving them opportunities to manage different risks, for instance, climbing trees, is actually really beneficial for their uh, development and learning as well. And it gives them an opportunity to build resiliency skills, problem solving skills, uh, and learn how to negotiate risk in perhaps a safer environment so that later on they're able to engage in risk and negotiate risk a little bit more competently as well. And also with that, of course, learning more about self-confidence uh, and self-esteem and persistence. And of course, gross motor if they're actually climbing a tree. Thanks, Kim. I'm wondering what, as you talk about these different kind of ways of learning, I'm wondering if there are any, if there are any specific frameworks or theories that inform your teaching approach. Yeah, so I think within early learning, we think a lot about constructivism and how knowledge is constructed um, by individuals rather than kind of passively absorbed. So just kind of telling a child something um, doesn't perhaps mean as much to them as if they were to actually kind of test it out themselves and learn themselves. Um, and also within that kind of social constructivism of thinking about how essential uh, interactions with others can be within learning. And then specifically within early learning, we talk a lot about emergent curriculum, which most people could probably uh, relate to some kind of the concept of uh, inquiry-based learning or experiential learning, if you think about older um, adults usually. And so those concepts are quite similar to emergent curriculum in that we kind of focus on children's interests and where they are and um, kind of really connect with that within our curriculum and supporting their learning and development through that. And then another, I guess, approach or framework perhaps um, that's really beneficial and important in early learning is the amazing kind of work that's being done in Reggio uh, Emilia, Italy um, with the Reggio Emilia approach. And it is an educational proje uh, project that was created by educators in Reggio Emilia, Italy that really focuses on children's learning and uh, how we can kind of uh, connect with children in kind of a variety of different ways and give them many different experiences uh, in order to really support their learning and really see them as kind of valuable contributors within the early learning experience. Thanks for sharing that. It's interesting to learn how these all these different uh, like teaching strategies are informed by like evidence-based practice. I'm curious about your thoughts on uh, pandemic parents and pandemic kids and wondering if you have any learning strategies or tips that you would recommend to parents who are having to lead their children through uh, virtual learning at home. I can't imagine the, the challenges that are associated with this for sure and I know it hasn't been easy um, by any means. So kind of, I guess a few things I would perhaps suggest are really thinking about creating kind of a fairly predictable routine as much as possible in schedule so that children know kind of roughly what to expect each day and kind of know what the sort of flow of the day is going to be for them. And I would also recommend 
you know, taking breaks and long breaks when possible and taking those outside ideally as much as possible in whatever kind of outdoor space is accessible to you. Personally, I would prefer, or I would suggest a kind of forested area if possible, because I think that that can support a lot of additional learning, but also give a great break. But I know that that's not accessible to everyone. So I would just suggest whatever kind of space is accessible to you because any outdoor space can definitely be made uh, or children can definitely make connections with it and can have that kind of break that they need. And as I mentioned before, there's also so many developmental benefits to outdoor play. So though it may feel like, you know, it's hard to prioritize at times, it is really beneficial for children. And I think also for the adults that are with them. So that would be something that I would suggest perhaps to maybe take a little bit of the pressure off if possible, really recognizing that learning can occur in um, everyday or even kind of last, less academic situations very easily. So for instance, you know, creating a new recipe together can be a fantastic learning experience and children can get a lot from that and also can get a lot of uh, relationship strengthening uh, kind of experiences from that as well. Thanks, I love the recipe idea for sure. That's, that's right up my alley as a dietitian. absolutely. Um, I'm wondering, as you were talking and talking about kind of taking an opportunity to go outside in whatever space is accessible, I'm wondering if you could give us like some very specific, perhaps simple ways to encourage learning through play at home. And I ask that because I've kind of done research myself as my kids were growing up and I remember a lot of things ended up being a huge mess in my kids. Um, so I wouldn't do it. Like I, I think I've mentioned this on other podcasts, there was this one example where it's like, give your kids a bucket of flour and some you and some like spoons and measuring cups and let them play on your kitchen floor while you're eating. And I thought that is a hard pass. I'm not doing that. That sounds like a disaster and the exact thing I'd like to avoid. Um, so so it's kind of really hard sometimes to find these uh, simple, specific ways we can encourage play at home that doesn't cause or in my case, I'm very, very much afraid of causing a huge mess. Um, but I like the idea of taking the bucket of flour outside, perhaps, now that you've <laughs> talked about being outside. But could you give us some some of those specific examples that perhaps parents could even start with today as they listen to this podcast? Yeah, for sure. So not surprisingly, probably my first tip would be just to spend more time outside. And perhaps, like you said, take some of those messier experiences outside, like paint, for instance, if you're not as comfortable having that in your home. But also try to embrace the mess if you can. But I know that, that is challenging. And uh and perhaps maybe there can be kind of a particular spot for some of that messier play because it is also really beneficial for children. But also outside has so many play opportunities to offer. Like I said, particularly if we can kind of be in more wild natural areas, the play opportunities are absolutely endless. And children really don't need anything added to those areas necessarily to engage with um, because nature just has so much to offer. But in terms of outside or even thinking or sorry, inside or even thinking outside, I would say really providing open-ended materials as much as possible would be my first suggestion for really encouraging play outside or play at home. And so a concept that we talk about in early learning is loose parts. And these are basically kind of like blocks, open-ended materials that don't necessarily have a set or design purpose to them, but children can use them in a variety of different ways and can make use of them, you know, for all sorts of different kind of play activities and ideas that they might have. So thinking about how perhaps you can kind of create small collections of loose parts for your children to use at home. So blocks can actually be an example of loose parts because like I said, they don't necessarily have a set purpose, but even 
cardboard can be a great loose part that you probably have at home. Pots and pans can be one, but those can also be quite loud. Bottle caps can be another one, or corks, or um, wooden kind of tree cookies is another one that we often use, or kind of old bracelets that you might have, like bangles and things like that can be great loose parts. String beads, uh, so you can think about beads that some people might put on like a Christmas tree, for instance, and cutting those up into various lengths. Those can be another great loose part that are pretty easy to find around home. But if you look around your home and kind of look for a variety of different materials that you think, okay, is there a set purpose for this or could the child use it in multiple different ways? It's likely things that you can source just from your home. And just giving children opportunities to engage with and experience these kind of different materials and see what they might do. And they'll likely surprise you. And also giving time for that um, and large chunks of time if possible. That's so great. And I really like the idea of loose parts. And I think now that I'm reflecting on kind of what my children do, I actually think they kind of, I, I, I haven't actually, I didn't know that term. So that's really helpful. But when I think back, I think my kids go into my junk drawer in my kitchen and they pull out all kinds of stuff from there that I didn't even know I had. And it's probably because it's the drawer, I just shove stuff in to get it off the counter. And they've pulled out, like they've done a lot of stuff with like corks, a roll of tape and like some scrap paper that I just, I didn't know what it was. So I threw it in that drawer. So I guess that's kind of playing, that's a, I guess a similar idea of playing with loose parts or like a broken necklace. I think there was a, a broken kind of beaded cheap dollar store necklace in there that I think they pulled out did whatever with and I don't care because it's my drunk drawer but I guess that's the same idea as loose parts yeah for sure children will make use of all sorts of materials really whatever you give them they can use in such imaginative ways super yeah I recall the best part about parents buying a new appliance as a child was getting to play in the cardboard box so I love that Amazing. So Kim, before we end the podcast, we usually ask our guests for three uh, take-home tips for parents. So do you have three tips for parents when thinking about the importance of play for children's learning? So I think my first tip would just be to remember that children are really capable and have a lot of different ideas and uh, their own perspective to offer. And I think society doesn't necessarily always give them kind of credit for that. But if we can view children with that, then hopefully that can help to um, impact our relationships in a really positive way with them. And then I would also suggest uh, letting your child try new experiences and how that can be really beneficial for their learning and development, even if it might make you or them uh, perhaps a little bit initially uncomfortable. And then my third tip would be, I know that life can get extremely busy and there are so many other priorities but spending time together is key for both you and your child. So thinking about ways that you can kind of have fun together and play together and have different experiences together um, could be really beneficial. Amazing. Thanks so much, Kim. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I'm sure our listeners will really appreciate your insight and tips on um, how to help their kids engage in more play at home um, during the pandemic, especially. Thanks so much for having me. It was a real pleasure to be able to talk with you and today.